Well, I am thankful to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm chapter number 85 is where we are today. Psalm uh, chapter number 85. And uh, today just talking about God shed His grace on us. And uh, we desperately need a movement of God in our nation. And I'm thankful again for the United States. I'm excited about this week here. Uh, when you're talking about uh, national celebrations, that's where we are. As, uh, as, as the United States of America, we celebrate our, our uh, freedom. We celebrate our nation this week. And uh, as with any other nation on the planet, part of our national uh, celebration includes songs, and when you're talking about songs in the United States of America, we have songs like the Star Spangled Banner, or God Bless America, or America, the Beautiful, and, uh, and I am thankful for each one of those songs, and uh, I will be singing them this week as we celebrate again uh, our birthday as a nation, July the 4th. Uh, uh, we'll have flags that are flying. I'll probably watch the Boston Pops, maybe, and uh, we'll have barbecues, but let me just say this morning, I was thinking this thought, and I don't even know where I am in my notes this morning, but I, I had this thought this morning as I was sitting here and, uh, and celebrating. I I just want to encourage you to make sure, make sure that over the next several days you really take a lot of time and thank God for his many blessings upon us as a people. It's not just about barbecues and it's not just about fireworks, but God has been so, so good to us. And make sure that you stop, even with your family, and make much of what God has done for us, in us, and through us. I'm thankful for the United States of America, and I am so grateful and proud to be an American, even though we do have issues. You know, some people, in fact, we're living in a day where revisionists are rewriting history, and there are those in our nation that almost shame us for being proud to be an American. And I'm telling you, I'm proud to be an American. Uh, and as a Christian, here's what that means. It simply means this, that, man, I was born into this nation, and, and, and I praise God for that. It doesn't mean that I don't love other nations. It doesn't mean that I don't love other countries, but this is my homeland. It's kind of like as a family. I mean, I love your family, but let me tell you something. I love my family and have responsibilities there. I love the church church universal, but God has brought me into this church family specifically. And as a citizen, he's brought me into this country to where I have responsibilities, but I also am very thankful to God to be an American today. I'm grateful to God for blessing us in such a way. He has shed his grace on us. When you think of our nation, there's been no other nation in history that has had the beginnings that we have had. When you're talking about building a nation uh, on Judeo-Christian principles, and I'm grateful to God again for that. But I tell you one thing that we do need, we desperately need a move of God. We have forgotten God and our prosperity. And uh, isn't it interesting, though, how in prosperity, we seem to be very much self-sufficient. That's true of us as individuals. It's also true of us as a nation. When all of our needs are met, then I don't really have a need for God. Uh, but when I'm in the midst of difficult days, when I'm in the midst of prosperity, 
uh, of poverty days, then I recognize, man, I am utterly dependent. And God, help us recognize, even in the moments of prosperity, that I desperately need you every single day. And so today I'm just thinking about, again, our nation. Not only does our nation sing songs, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament would sing songs of celebration, uh, would sing national songs, and, and, and that's what we have today in Psalm 85, basically, as a patriot's hymn. We have a patriot song uh, uh, written to us from the nation of Israel, specific to the nation of Israel. However, far-reaching application even to us today. Psalm chapter number 85 is just basically a reflection of the heart of a patriot. And so with that, read with me Psalm 85 beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, O Lord, you have showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, Selah. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God, the Lord, will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. We're just covering the first nine verses today, but basically, again, a heart of reflection. He begins in verses one through three, basically with a praise to God for his past dealings with us as a nation. That's where he begins a heart of appreciation in the first three verses. He's just simply reflecting on the goodness of God. The Israelites happened to be a nation no different than any other nation on the planet except for the fact that they are God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. Uh, uh, but they would struggle along the way. Oftentimes they were a rebellious and a stiff-necked group of people as we all are because we're born with that sinful nature. And yet God continued to deal with his nation, but he would discipline his people. In fact, most people would say this psalm was written uh, not long after they were in captivity for 70 years over in Babylon. And the reason that they were there was because, again, of their rebellious hearts. And God used the nation of Babylon to discipline his children, brought them over there for some 70 years. And then after they returned, it's interesting uh, uh, what had taken place for those whose hearts were right with God, such as the psalmist here. He was one that recognized, man, God has been merciful and God has been gracious to us and God has blessed us. He's done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so he's reflecting on, again, the goodness of God as he moves forward. He says he has forgiven. Uh, the Bible says, oh Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob, calling themselves again by the name. That's a reflection of, again, their deceitful hearts, their wicked hearts. He says you forgave the iniquity of your people. Aren't you grateful for a God that forgives us when we have failed against him? God, I'm so grateful. In fact, if I think of all the scriptures, one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures is 1 John chapter number 1 and in verse number 9, which tells us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all 
iniquity, all of our unrighteousness. No matter what I have done, he, his grace is sufficient. His grace is greater than all of my sin. Aren't you thankful that God is willing to forgive if we do indeed repent before him? Not only that, but he says he's covered all of our sin. He's covered all of our sin. And that's exactly what he does for us even today. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 3, And in verse number 19, the Bible says it like this, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The nation of Israel, this patriot's just simply saying, You have been so good. You withdrew all of your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. And only you could do that in your great grace and in your wonderful, wonderful mercy. It's not because of us, but it's rather in spite of us. And as I reflect as an American, I'm grateful to God as I look back and see the goodness of God on this great nation. I'm forever grateful for the beginnings of our nation when I think about what God has done and how merciful he has been. It's not because we are a good people. It's not because we're a super people. It's not because we're a strong people. It's only because we have an incredible God that in his wonderful plan, he chooses to bless us and wants to use us in this world. God help us, but I'm grateful again for his many blessings. And today, uh, uh, as I have done before, I I submit that there are basically a couple of reasons, I believe, why God has blessed our nation. Number one would be because of our beginnings, because of our biblical beginnings. We are a Christian nation, or we're we're founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. Now, there are revisionists that rewriting the history books. There are some that are questioning, even some that are accusing and saying, oh, we simply had deists who were our founding fathers. When the fact of the matter is, although there were a few of those deists, the majority by far were born again professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when you're talking about the beginnings of our nation, the Bible says in Psalm 33 in verse number 12, Psalm 33, verse number 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. When I think of the foundings of our nation, listen to some of our documents that we have. The Mayflower Compact uh, uh, wrote the purpose for the pilgrims coming and finding this land for the glory of God. Here's the reason why we're even traveling. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's the Mayflower Compact compact. In our declaration of independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You know, when you're looking at our declaration of independence, our founding fathers believed, number one, in absolutes, that there are, in fact, absolutes, and they are evident. You don't even have to argue over the fact. They're just very much evident. There are rights and there are wrongs. There are absolute truths. Not only did they believe in absolutes, I'll tell you what else they believed in, which, by the way, today we believe in relativism. In other words, what's right for you and true for you that's okay. Uh, uh, and, and what's right for me and, and, and true for me, well, that's good too. And they're just equal. Well, that, that's foolishness. There are absolutes and they're self-evident. 
number one. But number two, uh, they, our founding fathers, when you're talking about our founding fathers, uh, they believed in creation, <clears throat> endowed by their creator, the Declaration of Independence for our nation. In other words, they believed that there was a God in heaven that created you and he created me, and we are uniquely created in the image of the creator, and we're blessed with rights. And those rights are true for every individual on this planet. And I'm grateful to God again for our beginning. I did not come from a monkey. You may look at me today and say, well, you kind of act like one. That's fine. That's cool. But the fact of the matter is I didn't come from a monkey. I was specially and uniquely created by God Almighty. And he never made mistakes. He never has made a mistake. He never will make a mistake. He created you special. He didn't make a mistake when he created you a man. He didn't create a mistake when he created you a woman. Celebrate how he created you. You are either a biological male or a biological female. That's how our creator created us. And it is very much evident. Y'all all right? We're living in a day that's really whacked out. Daniel Webster, when we go back to our founding fathers, December 1820, this is what he said, talking about our nation. Let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers brought hither the high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light. They labored in its hope. They sought to incorporate and infuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, and literary. Christian, biblical. We're not talking about Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. We're talking about Christ-following, Jesus-loving people. James Madison, who was the architect of the Constitution, fourth president of the United States, he made this statement. We've staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. Far from it. We have staked the future upon the cap capacity of each and every one of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Andrew Jackson, President of the United States, June 8, 1845, made this statement. The Bible is the rock upon which our republic stands. Politicians of yesteryear <clears throat> had deeper spiritual convictions than our pastors today. When you read statements made by political leaders of yesteryear, they very much recognized our need for an uncompromised word of God. God help us get back there. Our nation was built on Judeo-Christian principles. And for that reason, not exclusively, God has blessed us greatly. But not only is it because of our biblical beginnings that he has blessed us. When you think back and reflect upon this nation and the miracle that we are, in fact, but number two, I would say because of our relationship with Israel, because of our relationship with Israel. And there are many today who would say we need to say fooey on them, but the Bible gives very clear 
promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3, and I believe still stands even to this day. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. You know, we experience so many freedoms and we don't know anything different in our nation. God's hand of protection. God's provision. And as we reflect on our nation, what we must do is be thankful to God. You know, how we have forgotten God. It's interesting when you talk about the pilgrims that came, the pilgrims, the pilgrims were willing to cross the ocean to come to worship. Today we won't go down the street. We have fallen a long way as a nation. <clears throat> as a nation. God help us. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about uh, just his hand of provision. You know what happens to us a lot of times? As we look back and reflect, we ought to be people with the most grateful hearts on the whole planet. I mean, think about it. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you last night had the opportunity and the privilege to sleep underneath the roof and not on the dirt floor? How many of you got running water in your house and electricity when you turn on a light switch? And how many of us have eaten at least one meal a day? <laughs> how many of us have multiple shirts to wear and pairs of pants to wear? See, what happens to us if we're not careful? <clears throat> a grateful heart is a matter of perspective. If all I'm fixing on, my eyes and attention on are my problems and my issues and what I don't have. It can rob me of a grateful heart. We, of all people on the planet, should be the most grateful. God has blessed us so abundantly. And unfortunately, <clears throat> we have forgotten His goodness. Just to say thank you. And so for that reason, I'm just encouraging you over the next several days. And you say, oh, over the next several days? Hey, 365 days a year, we ought to be a grateful people. I'm just simply saying 4th of July ought to be a time when we ought to just stop for a moment in the midst of our fireworks and celebrations and hot dogs and hamburgers and cookouts and trips to the beach to say, God, you've been very, very good to us. A heart of appreciation. That's where it begins. <clears throat> And then he recognizes we are not where we used to be. And God, we desperately are in need of restoration. And so he continues to move verse number four through verse number seven. And it just reveals again a, a, a prayer for present dilemmas, just simply saying, hey, we need restoration from you. We need revival from you, dear God. Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. <clears throat> 
Israel had returned to its homeland and they were rebuilding their homes and rebuilding their temple. But listen, just because they returned to their homeland didn't mean that God Almighty returned with them. A lot of times we look at those blessings and we forget the blesser. God help us recognize we desperately need a spiritual revival in our land. Will you revive us again? And that is a blessing from God. We cannot bring revival ourselves. It's a blessing from him. And we need to recognize that, that dear God, would you move in power and in might and revive the spiritual heartbeat to our nation again? When you look at us as a nation, we desperately, desperately need revival in this land. When you look around at our nation, uh, uh, one doesn't need to look very far to recognize that, man, we are a people that have been very much disobedient to God Almighty. We look around and we say, man, we have been killing our babies for years. And although we've made some strides in recent days, I would say we're still killing our babies. We've got blood on our hands before God. And we're a nation that as long as I don't hear the cries of the baby, then it doesn't keep me up at night. When the fact of the matter is, God help us not to kill and murder little babies. We've legalized same-sex marriages. God forgive us. We're not talking about a civil or a social problem. We're talking about a moral problem. That's what that is. It's a moral issue. You know, oftentimes what happens to us, and this is where we are as a nation, again, nobody wants anybody to talk about this subject as a moral subject. In fact, what happens when a pastor begins to talk about these issues, hey, you shouldn't touch on political issue, to which I'm saying this is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is about right and wrong. It's about what God's Word says. And God help us recognize that. We ought not to have laws saying, hey, you can marry a man or marry a woman, but rather, I think it should be forbidden. It's a moral issue. You know, there's people today that would say, you know, it's interesting how many churches today that say, well, we celebrate homosexuality. Can I tell you something? If you're looking for a church that celebrates homosexuality, you're not looking for a church. You're just simply looking for an assembly without God. That's all that is. And and I'm not throwing rocks this morning. I'm just simply saying we are a nation that has become numb to these things. In fact, even locally, I don't know if you've been following, but even locally here in Leon County, because a lot of times we hear of these things and we think, oh, that might be happening in California because they're weirdos. And it's not just California. And they're not all weirdos. (laughs) But do you know that even in our own Leon County school system, you know, we, we say, oh, it's all always been the same. Well, no, it hasn't always been the same. You know, in our own Leon County school system, even this week, uh, it has been challenged, but we have books now on our shelves celebrating homosexuality. Second grade, second grade. Billie Jean King's story. Y'all familiar with that? Here's an excerpt from the book for second graders in Leon County. 
She writes, around this time, I also realized that I was gay. Being gay means that if you're a girl, you love and have romantic feelings for other girls. And if you're a boy, you love and have romantic feelings for other boys. And then in the caption above the cartoon character, eventually, this is Billie Jean King, eventually Larry and I stopped being married and I fell in love with a wonderful woman named Alana you can't choose who you will fall in love with. Your heart will tell you. And we say, oh, that's great material for second graders. We're a sick nation. And the church needs to stand up. We have transgender issues. And they're trying to invite everybody to play the game with them. And the fact of the matter is, I choose not to play. Bruce Jenner will always be Bruce Jenner to me. He. Him. I, I, I can't play that game. Now, let me just say, we need to be loving people. But we also need to be a truth-telling people. You know, it's, it's a crazy world when you, when you say that, well, I, this is how I was born. Well, let me ask you a question this morning, seriously. And this is a serious question this morning. If I were to say to you, <clears throat> I, I really think God created me to be a dog. I, I'm a dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I won't go any further than that. You'd say, you are one whacked out person that really needs help. You, you, if I seriously believe that, you really seriously need help. To which I would say to someone who says, man, I, God made me a woman but put me in a man's body. I'm simply saying, hey, you really need serious help. But please don't ask me to play that game because I'm not. We have fallen a long way. Since 1960, in my lifetime, <clears throat> I was 68, I'm not that old, but since 1960, illegitimate births have raised 400% in our nation. In other words, we're saying, hey, just shack up, don't marry, have kids, no big deal. When the fact of the matter is, it is a big deal. Violent crime has raised 550% on our streets. And you've seen it. We're living in a day where we've removed the authority that our officers need to have and must have to fulfill their obligation to us, to keep us safe, to keep us protected. They don't carry a gun for nothing. I'm grateful for our police officers. I'm thankful. <laughs> you know what's crazy is when you're in the midst of talking like this, it's like, uh, are we allowed to say that? Absolutely. <laughs> but our culture has become so brainwashed that we feel like this is radical. This is not radical. We have fallen a long way. How did we get to where we are? 
You know, a lot of times what we do is we like to place the blame on a lot of things and on a lot of different people. We'll place the blame on the politics. Man, it's all about the politicians. Can I tell you something? My hope is not in the next election. That's not my hope. Now, I, now, I, I do hope that my person wins, but that's not where I place my hope for our nation. We, we've always had politicians. We've always had politicians. I even heard Columbus was a politician. I don't know whether that be true. Said he left the land, didn't have a clue where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. He couldn't tell you where he had been, and he did it on somebody else's money. Therefore, it makes him a politician. <laughs> but a lot of times we say it's, 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 it's the politician's fault. But can I tell you something? I don't believe it's the politician's fault. I believe it's the church's fault. God didn't call the politicians to be the salt and light, unless they're a believer. But God called the church to be the salt and the light. Matthew chapter number 5, the Bible says in Matthew 5, verse number 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're called to be the salt and the light. And he simply says, hey, <clears throat> if the salt has lost its saltiness, what is the saltiness? The distinctness. We are God's chosen people. We're his children. The distinctness. We ought not to watch what the world watches. We ought not to act like the world acts. We ought not to respond as the world responds. We are called to be the salt and the light. And the Bible says, man, if a salt has lost its distinctness, its distinct flavor. See, the world, so many times what we do as a church is we say, man, I want to be like the world. Well, the fact of the matter is I don't really need to be like the world. I need to be like Jesus in the world, which is very different. What do you mean? Well, here's, here's what I mean. He says, I want you to show love. Even if someone's unlovable. I want you to have joy. Peace. Be patient. Be kind. Even to those that are undeserving. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, self-control. That's what the world needs. They need Jesus with skin on. They need a salty group of people. He says, you're the salt of the world. Not only are you the salt of the world, you're the light of the world. When you're talking about the salt, the salt doesn't pick up the flavor of the world, but rather it infuses the world with flavor. That's what salt does. Salt doesn't pick up the flavor of the world. Not good salt. Think about it. You're going to go to lunch today and put salt on something. You're not going to say, man, you know, this salt tastes like green beans today. It, it, it didn't pick up the flavor of the green bean. 
But I'll tell you what you might do. This green bean tastes salty. And that's what good salt does. It says, you're the salt of the world. Don't pick up the flavors and the ways of the world. You're the light of the world. Infuse it with light. Let them see truth. Let them see Jesus with skin on. You're the light of the world. And that's exactly what he says. You're the salt and you are the light. <clears throat> and I'm convinced that most of the time and many times people aren't seeing light. And I wonder how much of it is because we don't even have a light to shine. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> I've shared this with you before, a story. When, when I was a kid, I, I went coon hunting. <clears throat> Ninth grade, never been there in my life. And uh, when I went coon hunting, um, never been. My friend picked me up, walked out to the woods. He had a light. He had a shotgun, and I had nothing. And uh, he turned dogs loose, started running through the woods in the middle of the night. He had a little light, and I'm running behind him trying to keep up with him. I'm running through the woods at night. Dogs got to the edge of the river. They swam across the river. Thought it's time to go home. He said, we got to swim across the river. <laughs> you can swim. It's your dogs. I'm going home. But I didn't know how to get out of there. So we swam across the river and uh, got to the other side of the river. And uh, I had to stop for a minute because I had something coming up my leg. But that's a different story. I did have something coming up my leg for real. So I stopped. And all of a sudden, he kept running. Well, he kept running. And I had to call for help because I couldn't let go of my leg. And so he came running back. And uh, when he got back there, he helped me out. He took off running again with his little light. This is, this is true. And so I'm running as fast as I'm trying to run behind him in the middle of the woods at night in the dark. And, and, and he's ditching and dodging because he's got this. And, and I can't even see the trees. I'm just feeling them hitting me in the face. And I can't keep up with him. And so that light just goes further and further and further. And finally, I got to a point where I was running and I had run into some briars and they just started ripping me and cutting me. And I just stopped in frustration and hollered out, Larry Joe. And, uh, and uh, the reason I got to that point is because I was trying to keep up with somebody that had a light, but I didn't have a light. And there are people that come to church. Most miserable people are religious people that come to church and you've never been born again. So you don't have the Holy Spirit of God enabling you to do what the Word of God is calling you to do. He says, I want you to be the salt and the light. I want the world to see me through you. And the problem is, if you've never been born again, you don't have light. You're trying to keep up. But you can't. And this morning, I just want to say to you, Today could be the day of your salvation. When you have the light, when you become light in this dark world. My prayer for the church this week and always is that God Almighty would revive us. What a blessing that would be. What a gift from God that would be. You know, the Bible also in Matthew chapter 5 talks about it like this. Matthew 5 verses 3 and 4 the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he's talking about here, <clears throat> it is a gift from God 
to have a heart that breaks over sin. What a gift. And God, we desperately need you to move in our hearts. That my heart would be like your heart. You know, when you talk about the United States of America, I believe, I believe this to be true. I believe that our greatest threat, our greatest threat is not Russia, is not China. I believe our greatest threat is the same as our greatest hope. And that would be Jesus. He is our only hope. He is our only hope. But it's only if he chooses to remove his hand from upon us as a nation that we fall. Dear God, help us recognize our need for you. A heart of anticipation is had by the psalmist. The Bible goes on in Psalm 85, and it says it like this in verse number 8 and 9. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. The key to revival is held among his people. His people, you and me, you and me. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. It takes humility. It takes recognizing, God, I need you. I need you. It takes a heart that's filled with repentance, And it's not about recognizing all the sin that's out there, but it's asking and begging God to show me what you see in me and let it begin in me. We are in desperate need of true revival. And do you know that true revival is not led by a bunch of musicians leading people to sing songs, but rather it's a call to repentance such that God blesses us with a broken and contrite heart over sin, and only he can do that. Dear God, send revival today and let it begin in me. God, shed your grace on us today. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer? As we pray this morning, I just want to ask you the question, number one, Have you ever been born again to be saved? I'm not talking about going to church and being religious, but I'm talking about a time in your life when you realize that, man, I have sinned and fallen short. Man, I've missed the mark. I've messed up. I've made a mess. And you heard that God Almighty loves you, and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world to lay down his life for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus into this world not to condemn you, 
but to save you from your sin because it's sin that separates us from fellowship with God. And he longs for fellowship with you, intimacy with you. And without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to pay the price for your sin and my sin because we can't pay that price. But what we couldn't do, he did do. Not only did he pay the price on the cross, but they put him in a grave and three days later he rose from the dead. And our Savior's alive. And he wants intimacy with you. If you've never called on his name, would you do that today? Won't you do that today? If he's knocking on the door of your heart, you come today. You come. Church, would you join me this morning as you pray? Invite the Holy Spirit of God who can see the deepest, darkest places of our hearts. Invite him. Let us see what you see. Oh, God. Anything in me that's not pleasing to you. God, break our hearts over sin. Lord, a brokenness that doesn't remain broken, but that would lead us to repentance. Because God, I know that when we do repent, we find refreshing in your presence, God. But Lord Jesus, let us not become lukewarm. Let us not lose our saltiness. Let your light not grow dim. But God, bless us today. By simply speaking, we need you. Search us. Search us. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the days of grace. So much to be thankful for, but God, we are so thankful for the cross, for your word. God, I thank you for each one here, but search our hearts today and have your way. Lord, for those that have never called on you, oh God, please, please, would you knock on their heart? Thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.